that, you know, really, it's crazy, Pastor Mark, that I never told you what I was going to speak about tonight, and I never told Joni, but every single one of those songs goes right with what I'm going to talk about tonight. That's how God works. That's how he works. But I got to tell you guys, on, on uh, it's been a kind of a rough day. I had to do a bunch of stuff today out of town and in town and all around the Metroplex, and you know how traffic is, especially in the rain. So there's a lot of wrecks and a lot of delays and stuff, and so I had to rush here without breakfast, lunch, dinner, so I had to grab something on the way, and I hope you guys don't mind if I just have a snack of some french fries, and I got some water, and I, I've already approved it with Mark, Pastor Mark, that I could have a bite while I'm eating, while I'm, pre- while I'm preaching, so, um, you know, they got great fries, I'm just telling you, uh, but I'm really not going to eat, that's empty. But I do, I do want to tell you something, okay? Um, humans need food. And they need water. And people, some people that have gone on mission have seen people that have no food and water. And, and they're just starved. I, I want you to know, man, when I go all day without, because my son-in-law and I go out and, and sell, sell out and all over the place. And sometimes we miss lunch. And we did, if we didn't have breakfast, you know, we're, we're starving. You know, so the title tonight of my message is, Are We Famished and Thirsty? You see, famished, you know, if you remember, uh, Esau came in and and said, I'm famished to Jacob. Give me some of that red stew. Well, sell me your birthright. I don't have to worry about that because I have an older brother. Just want you to know. All right, so y'all get that? I don't know if you guys understand. The older one gets the birthright. He can have it. Anyway, but we need food and water to survive. The human race was created that way. There was a garden that they got to eat from until they messed up. But, but here's the deal. I mean, without food or water, it's death. But I want you to know something. Without spiritual food or water, it's death. It's death. We need spiritual food and we need spiritual water. We need the bread of life and we need the, light, the water, the living water. We need that if we're Christians. The non-Christians need it, they just don't know yet until someone like Ken goes out and speaks truth to people or Josh or anybody else. They need that. But here's the thing, in, in the normal human life, their, their spirit is about purpose. They're searching for purpose. They're searching for meaning. They're searching for identity, which we call self-esteem. Christians should call it God-esteem, but it's self-esteem that people are searching for, and they will search endlessly for meaningless. They will search endlessly, endlessly for ungodly entertainment. They'll search endlessly for activities, some of them aren't bad activities. You know, uh, there's, there, a lot of them aren't sin- sinful, but they're meaningless. I mean, really, they don't have any meaning to, to basically save the world or make a difference in the world. You know, before I was a Christian, I've got, I've got to tell you some secrets on me. Okay. Before I was a Christian, I was into the Dallas Cowboys big time. You can ask my wife. I was into the Cowboys. Here's the deal. When I was a younger guy, if the Cowboys lost on Sunday, I was miserable Monday, 
and usually half a Tuesday, and by Wednesday, I'm hopeful that they'll win next Sunday. So if they're playing the Redskins and they get beat on Sunday, I'm, everybody at work, not just me, but everybody at work is so upset. It, listen, it's meaningless. Because Cowboys weren't any good anyway. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's meaningless, okay? But we, we, that's the world. We love the Cowboys in Dallas-Fort Worth, and we want them to win. But back when, before I was a Christian, it was like, that meant so much to me. And if they'd lost, I was miserable. Here's another one. I've been a season ticket holder for the Dallas Mavericks since they came in 80, had them for over 30-some years. My kids grew up on the Dallas Mavericks. Alex, when Alex got married to my wife, I think that's why he married, no, that's not why he married her. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Just because Dirk Nowitzki's from Germany, I'm not. Anyway, but listen, he, listen, when the Mavericks lost, you can ask any one of my daughters that rode with me all the way to the game. When the Mavericks lost, all we did on the way home were angry. We've already decided why they lost. They didn't hit their free throws. The referees are terrible. The coach should have played so-and-so. And, and we're miserable, meaninglessly miserable. Then I met this God, and things changed. But see, that's the culture that we're in right now. That's what they're looking for. So I want to read a story in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's, it's amazing to me that the teacher says these things in Ecclesiastes. If you've ever not read Ecclesiastes, read it, because it's amazing. If I can get there. I know it's uh, right before the Song of Solomon. Oh, anyway, I'm not supposed to say that. Anyway, if y'all don't understand that, ask Pastor Mark. <laughs> so anyway, in Ecclesiastes, this is what it says. The teacher says this. This is the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, assuming Solomon, which it is. And this is what he says in, chap in chapter one, verse two. Meaningless, exclamation point. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Can you imagine that? Here's a guy that had everything. Money. He built gardens. He built buildings. He had all the women he wanted, which brought him down. But he had everything. He tried everything. He had everything. You know, I have some, I know some people that are super, super rich and they got all kinds of stuff. But you know what? In the end, it's all going to burn up anyway. And, and he's sitting there saying, meaningless, meaningless. But when you get to the end, this is what gets me. And this is what we need to hear. It's what I need to hear. He gets to the end and he says this. After going through all this stuff, I've had this. I've got, I'm the wisest person on the earth. I've got more money, I've got more gold. I've got everything I need. And then he says, everything's meaningless. But at the end, he says, now all has been heard, verse 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of this matter. Fear God and his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Did y'all get that? Nothing matters but God. Nothing matters but the word of God. 
the commandments? Nothing. Now, I know everybody in here, most people have to go to work. We have to, we have to do you know, chores. We, we have to do a lot of stuff. But in the end, it's gonna be meaningless. You know, I'm not even gonna be married to my wife in heaven. But right now it's meaning, it's very meaningful. <laughs> honey, honey, it's meaningful. I just want you to know. 40 years. Yeah. So I just want you to know, listen, in the end, guys, it says this. God's gonna bring every deed into judgment. Every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. Uh-oh. Whether it's good or evil. And it really depends on how the cowboys play. No, it's good or evil. He's gonna bring all this into judgment of how what we did, what we did for him. If we didn't give our life for him at all, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good at all. So when Pastor Mark had called me and asked me to speak, uh, I guess it was either Friday or Saturday that I came up with this message. Well, Pastor Mark already ruined it and spoke half of it on Sunday, but he didn't know you didn't. He, didn't. he basically spoke a lot about what we get led into. What does it mean for, oh, I just want to read what Pastor Mark uh, said, if you were here Sunday, and if you weren't, you missed out. Chapter one, Psalms, I'm just going to read it real quick. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So, Pastor Mark read this, and, I, and Pastor Mark also gave a challenge to us to read Psalms, one Psalm a day, and, and meditate on it, and then try to get something out of that psalm. So I read Psalm 2 the next day. And you know, in Psalm 2, I love this part, Pastor Mark. He talks about the nations raging, and he talks about the kings, and they're, wanna, they're gonna take care of God's anointed one. And here's what I love. God's in heaven, and he laughs. God's in heaven laughing at all these people that think they're gonna bring Jesus down. God's up there laughing about that, because you're not gonna bring his anointed down. You're not going to bring heaven down either. It's not coming down. It's going to come down when it's time, but it's not time yet. But I just want you guys to know, Satan has no power. He has no power. So I just, here's the other thing Pastor Mark said. Delighted in the law of the Lord, in our case, it's this word of God. Do we delight in it? And are we going to meditate it on day and night? And in verse six, it says this, the Lord God Almighty watches over the righteous. Talks about the Lord watching over the righteous. I just read that. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So what that, what that moved right into for me tonight was one of the Beatitudes in the Bible. Matthew 5, 6. Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The King James Version said they will be satisfied. 
So being hunger, having hunger and, and thirst for food is great for our physical body, but for our spiritual body, we got a hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And, and, and when, at the end, he says, they will be filled. He doesn't say, if you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness from this word of God, you might be filled. There's a possibility that maybe you'll be filled. Now listen, first of all, I want you to know something. He's doing the Sermon on the Mount and there's hundreds and hundreds of people on this mountain, but it says he came to teach the disciples. That's what it says in verse two, verse one and two. So, so he's, he's basically trying to teach his 12 disciples these things. And he's telling them because he knows they're already Christians. They're already saved. And so he's telling them and he's telling us, if you're sitting in this room tonight and you've given your life to Christ, he's telling us, you're, you will be blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Pastor Mark said the opposite is true. The unrighteous are cursed. Cursed to a place that's not good. Cursed to a place called hell. Without Christ. Without God. In the presence of God. They will not be in the presence of God, it says in Psalms 1. And so... I'm talking tonight, hopefully, to a mostly Christian crowd. But if you're not, I want you to listen. If you're not a Christian, you need to be listening because without Jesus, he is the way, the truth, the life. He's not messing around when he says that. He is it. There's no other second plan. And so we need to get into the word. Here's the thing. He's teaching his disciples, but there is a huge crowd around I want you to just picture in your mind walking into a church. Let's just call it Grace Church, Burleson, Texas. And we, we walk into the second service and it's totally packed out. And Pastor Mark is our teacher. He's speaking the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and he speaks this incredible sermon and here's the thing. He's speaking it to everyone. I've watched Pastor Mark. He will look from side to side when he looks at me. He's, that's when he said something about somebody being old or something. Anyway, but he, he'll look over here and he kind of scans the crowd and stuff. And, and here's the deal. He doesn't know who's getting it. Here's what he doesn't know. He doesn't know who the chosen are. He doesn't know who's sitting in the crowd that has never given their life to Christ or has given their life to Christ, he doesn't know which is which, who's done what. His job as a teacher is to teach the word. Our job as a hearer is to hear the word and let it sink in and make a difference in our life. We're supposed to thirst and hunger when Pastor Mark preaches a word from the Bible just as Jesus was sitting on the mountain. He's the representative that's teaching us the word. And when he teaches it, we should be hungry and thirsty. Just as he said, when we walk through the door, we should be going, I can't wait to hear what he's gonna talk about today because it's gonna come from this word and it's gonna change my life. 
And that is how we have to be. Because if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be filled. We will be satisfied. We won't be looking for something to fill that void inside of us like drugs, alcohol, sex, porn. We're not looking for any of that because we have already got what we need and his name's Jesus. And he comes from the word. And so when we got a pastor, and I want to tell you, a lot of churches don't have that. And I'll, I'll t- get to that in a few minutes, but here's, here's one definition I found of righteousness that I liked. It says, the quality of being morally right. Wow. I invited Ken Dornecker to come speak to my teenagers when I was in Godly. And his, his message that day was about righteousness. I don't know if you remember that. But he's telling them about what the truth is. And the truth comes from the word of God. And so the definition, the quality of being morally right, where does that come from? God. And only God. And only the word of God. This is the righteousness right here. This is where righteousness comes from, not the world. There is no, like, how, how does Gary become a better man? Oh, let's read a couple books about that. How can I be a better businessman? I own a business. Oh, I got to learn how to be successful in business. Let me tell you what, God gives you success. God's given you success, and he will give you success. He might say, get out of the business. I don't know. But he's the one. Here's the Christian life in a nutshell. Be more like Jesus. And when you're, when you're out there thirsting and hungry for the word, you'll find him. You'll find Jesus from the very beginning of the book in Genesis all the way to Revelation 22. You'll find Jesus. And then you can be more like him if you let that sink in and go out and live that and be obedient to what the word says. It's pretty crazy. But unfortunately, this is the deal. Unfortunately, the majority of the people in the world aren't that hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Even Christ followers, who should be totally hungry and thirsty for righteousness, that come from the word of God, but they don't read it, a lot of them. And they don't meditate on the scriptures. And when they come to church, they really aren't listening. They, the music sounds great, but I just want you to know, our, our praise and worship team's great, and they just brought some great songs out that if you just listen to them, them, If you'll just listen to the praise and worship team, they're putting out truth. And if you're thirsty and hungry for the worship team, you can hear truth right there. You can hear it throughout the service. And listen, turn it on at home. Listen to it every day. You'll hunger for it. It's going to be incredible what it'll do to change your life. But the world's not listening to that. Here's how we can do that as Christians, okay? Go to church, number one. Pray before you get there. Read the Bible, number two. Pray before you read the Bible. Number three, be obedient to what you heard. And do it. Nike says go do it, but I don't think they're, I'm not gonna say what kind of company they are, but just do it. Just go out and do it. And you'll see a change in your life that you'll you'll be able to walk out the door and lead other people to Jesus if you do that. But where does it come from, really? Where does it come from where we can actually do what that says? So I just want to tell you where it comes from. He's given me an hour, so don't worry about it. 
Anyway, no. Second Peter chapter one. Simon Peter, servant of the apostle Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Oh my gosh. We have a faith as precious as Paul, as Peter, as Andrew. We have a faith just as precious to God as theirs. That's what he's saying here. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. But here's what I want you to know. Without this, we cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness without this next sentence. He says, God's divine power, his divine power the Holy Spirit, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Praise God. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, which is tons, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, in righteousness, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. That's a powerful passage. Put that on your wall. Because we have been given a divine power. The Holy Spirit of God in us keeps us from living a corrupt, evil life. And it also gives us righteousness if we'll go ahead and allow the Spirit to make our decisions for us. If we'll allow the Spirit into our life to change our life instead of putting him off and go, I, I think I'll go do, watch the cowboy game. And I, you know, It's okay to watch a cowboy game. But if that's your idol, you got a problem. Let's pray about it. Which that was mine back in those days. But here's the thing. Second Peter his divine power, the Holy Spirit, gives us everything we need to be godly. Everything. But here's the deal. There's a catch to it. Verse 5. After we've found out about this divine power, it says this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So he's saying, he's saying, okay, Gary, let's use this as an example. You're an alcoholic, and you go to AA, and through AA, you find out about Jesus somehow. And through finding out about Jesus, you give your life to Christ. But here's the deal. Now you've got the Holy Spirit in you, but here's the deal. You can't go to a bar. You can't decide, okay, I'm gonna pour a glass of scotch and sit it by my nightstand. Because the Bible says you have to make every effort. You've got the power Listen, guys, we've got the power to change the world, but here's the thing. We've got, we got to make every effort. We cannot sit in the pew every single week with this Holy Spirit power, hear a powerful message, and go out the door not changed and not say one word to anybody else. Not invite anybody to church. Not go see somebody at the counter at, at, uh, at, the, at the restaurant, and you can see that they're miserable and you don't pray for them, you don't say anything to them, you, you oh man, I, that poor lady. Or you see somebody walking across the street with a walker, which I'll be there in a couple of minutes. I mean, you, no, I'm just, but listen, you see somebody walking across the street 
with a walker trying to carry a couple bags of groceries. And you go, oh, that poor guy. No, you got to make it every effort to be Jesus. Every effort. It's what happens. We decide, hey, I'm a Christian. Everything's cool. But then we don't obey when the Holy Spirit says, hey, Gary, go do that. Go witness to that person. Go talk to that person. Go talk to that lesbian. Go talk to, talk to that person on the plane. That's, you, you look over at his computer and he's watching porn. Talk to him in love. Talk to people. You represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's given you a divine power. And he tells you, hunger and thirst for my righteousness. What is right? What's right to do? Talk to that person. Let me just tell you something. You really don't love humans if you don't really want to talk to them about Jesus. You just say, man, it's okay. It's all right. You know, all these things that, that you know, these things were said by Jesus 2,000 years ago, the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just say this. It still goes for us today. Everything in this Bible from Genesis all the way through goes for mankind today. Nothing in here has changed or will change. But here's the problem. We have got right now in our culture, and I'll just say this, back when I was on Facebook, which is, I gave it up a long time ago, but back when I was on it, a lot of my Christian friends from different churches that I knew and everything, when, when same-sex marriage was being voted on and all that, they're like, hey, that's cool. I wonder if they've ever hungered and thirst for righteousness. I wonder if they've ever gotten the word. Or what about the church that's another denomination that I know of that, that has homosexual pastors and trans pastors in their church? I wonder if they've ever read the Bible about what it says about that. You've opened the door for Satan. And by the way, if you read in Revelation, you can read about the seven churches, you'll find all that stuff in there. What about the people that say they're Christians, but every word out of their mouth is a curse word? Let me tell you, I was there. When I first became a Christian, I was still talking the way I talked in the factory. But because I started hungering and thirsting for the word and found out that's not the way you're supposed to talk. I grew up in a house like that. I went to work with people like that. I just thought that was everyday language. I didn't even know it was, you know, I knew it wasn't good. It's just kind of like abortion. Every woman in America knows that's not good, but... Everything that I say that's going on with these churches, and then you've got people that are getting married or not getting married and having sex, and right now, the generation we're living in, couples want to just not get married. That's called adultery. But see, they don't, they don't know the truth. No one's ever told them the truth. They've never read the truth. They've probably never been in a church. All these things I'm saying, though, are forgivable. You can for, be forgiven for that with repentance. Thank God, because I wasn't a good person before I got married. I did almost all that stuff. Drank, did all, all kinds. Of, I shouldn't say this when my grandson here. Oh, he already knows. I wasn't living a good life. But through the word of God and having a hunger for it 
and a thirst for it changed my life and revealed to me, which the Holy Spirit does, what right and wrong is. So we have this spirit and we meditate on the word and we meditate on righteousness. If we did this every day before we went out and said, I want your righteousness. If we did that, your day will be a lot better if you pray about it. So, why? I guess my question goes back to this. Why, why would a church denomination do what they're doing? Why a church? It's bad enough that we do. But why a church that should know the word of God? I went to catechism for three years and learned about all this stuff in the head. But in the heart, it's a different story. But why? Why would a church do this? Well, I'm going to give you a couple things real quick. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. This is 2,000 years ago, and this is today. But mark this. See, Timothy is being taught by Paul because Paul's getting older, and he's going to pass away. He's passing his ministry on to Timothy. And he says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. No way. Ungrateful unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Wow. Ah, gosh, (laughs) I hate to look at some of that because I was that. But just like Romans chapter one, where God's talking about uh, homosexuality, he picks that, but he also gets at the bottom and he says almost everything that's right here. And then he says in chapter two, after he talks about the depravity of of mankind, he starts talking about that. But in chapter two, he says, just because you're a Christian, don't judge them because you used to be like that. What's the difference between us and them? Jesus Jesus, that's what the difference is. Righteousness that we're shooting for. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not one. So what, what's this, what happens there? Well, we give our life to Christ and we're righteous because of his blood. But without him, we're still unrighteous. Without repentance and forgiveness and Jesus, we're unrighteous. But do we still do unrighteous things sometimes? I'm perfect, honey, I just want you to know. (laughs) We still mess up. We mess up all the time. That's why Jesus had to die. Because if we never messed up, why would we need a savior? So he dies because he knows we're gonna mess up. But here's the deal. The Christian gets his righteousness through the cross. 
And because he gets his righteousness through the cross, he can be forgiven and get right back on the righteous track and hopefully stay on it. But if he falls again, he gets right back on the track after forgiveness and repentance. So this is why the world's this way, chapter three. Then we go to chapter four, 2 Timothy 4, one through five. 2 Timothy 4, one through five. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Paul's giving Timothy a charge. And I'm gonna just gonna tell you, this charge has been given to Pastor Mark. It's been given to me or anyone that stands up here. Preach the word. And everybody that's an evangelist like Ken, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, ooh, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, folks, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around. Sorry, I got my sticky note on it. <laughs> Don't tear up my Bible. They'll gather, gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Boy, is that our culture. Is that our culture. It's all good. Just send in the money. Listen, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations and endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Mark, for preaching the truth. Every week. Every week. That's why everyone that's part of this church should be here every week and not miss it. And I'm not just saying that because it's Pastor Mark. I'm saying that because we need to hunger and thirst. We need to hunger and thirst. And then you know what? When you do, you'll be filled. And you walk out this door satisfied. Amen. And that satisfaction can come and it should stay there till Sunday and then till Wednesday and then it should stay all week. And if you're not satisfied, call me, call somebody. We'll pray, we'll pray for you, won't we, Josh? We'll pray for anybody that's having a tough time and not satisfied and hurting and struggling in their life. There's people all over this church. I see in the morning people come up here and get prayed over all the time because they're, they're not filled or they're not satisfied. Something's going on in their life. And that's why we're here. You know, our praise and worship team sings this song. And I just want to, you want me to sing? It's terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jody. I'm terrible singing. You can come up, come on up. No, I'm just kidding. They sing this song, but it had, this is the first line in the song. I love you, Lord. You know the song? Second stanza. I love your face. We've got to hunger for that. 
I weep almost every time you sing that song. We've got to love him like that. We want to see his face. One day we will. I'd like for everybody just to stand up for a second. Just, just for a second. I want to read something. I want to kind of end with this. One more song. Psalm 18. Psalm 18. It says, for the director of music, this is a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. He sang to the Lord the words of this song. When the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. David sang this song. I'm just going to say verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. And we sing it at our church. David. I just want all of us to, if you feel like putting your hands up, put them up. If you don't, that's fine. But I want to just say this. I want us just to say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Let's do it one more time. That's precious to God. I love you, Lord, my strength. Amen. Amen. See, in Revelation chapter, well, when they're talking about the churches in Revelation chapter three, we all know about that chapter. You all can sit down for a minute and then I'll have you stand up again. <laughs> Pastor Mark will. Listen, Revelation chapter three, we all know this one. It's the church of Laodicea. What's the problem with the church of Laodicea? Lukewarm. Lukewarm. So after he gets done telling them they're lukewarm and telling them all these things, what's he say? He says, I stand at the door and knock, right? First he says, I love, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So... Be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that, per with that person and they with me. He never stops knocking at the door. He never stops knocking to the person that is just so involved with the world that they're lukewarm. You know, they might come to church on Christmas and Easter, but they're lukewarm. Or they might come to church every once a month, or they, or they might not come at all. But here's the deal. He doesn't stop knocking at their door. He doesn't stop. And when he says, Gary, you're getting a little lukewarm. Listen, 
Francis Chan wrote a great book called Crazy Love, and he had 19 different things about lukewarmness. One of them was tithing. Whoa-oh. One of them was uh, not going to church all the time every week. There's just different things about being lukewarm. He, he gave a whole 19 things about lukewarmness. But I want you to know something that we hardly ever talk about. He says, if anyone, first he talks about repentance. But listen, he says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. That's some hunger and thirst. And then he says this, though. We don't go into this. Listen to this. If I'm lukewarm and I repent and I turn my life back to Christ and I ask for forgiveness and I, he says, I stand at the door knocking and I open that door to Jesus Christ. And I say, man, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to Christ. Listen to what happens, guys. I don't think we ever get this. He says this in verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne. Are you kidding me? I can sit on the throne just as I was victorious, Jesus says, and sat down with my father on the throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you believe that? If you give up your lukewarmness and you open the door or go through the door, he says, you can sit on my throne with me. Wow. I don't know about y'all. That would be amazing if I could get to do that. That makes me hunger and thirst for righteousness. That makes me forget the Chick-fil-A and all that and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray.